Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, NDERF. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. Today we are going to talk about the experience of Tony, who uh, had his experience back in 1955. You know, one of the arguments against near-death experiences is the suggestion that these are things that have been kind of thrown into our collective consciousness as a society, and therefore we're experiencing them because we expect them, or whatever. And, which is absolutely, totally bogus, since so many of these experiences did happen before this became a well-known phenomenon. In fact, uh, Raymond Moody was the one who coined the phrase near-death experience. And while there had been talk of, you know, people having gone to heaven, returned, and so forth, uh, it, it wasn't common. In fact, it was so... Uh, it wasn't that it was uncommon for people to experience it. It was uncommon for people to talk about it. Because uh, and other than in maybe a religious context, and only in those religions that actually, you know, had... Uh, place for that um, because many religions seem to you know pe- people would go to a church where they would be told in sharing their experience that well that can't happen that's not how it works so it must have been a nice dream or whatever you know and and they don't accept it but so you'd only hear these things in religious context by those religions that actually believed in this kind of experience so previous to 1970-whatever, these things just weren't really talked about. And they certainly were not a common thing that everybody's heard of. And so, you know, for any who have concerns about that, here's an example of an experience that happened in 1955. And so, if you want to, you know, call that um, uh, something that's collective consciousness, you're going to have to uh, gives some more evidence that uh, that works a little better than that, I guess. <laughs> anyway, Tony says, I was on my way home from school. I was wondering why I shouldn't walk between parked cars, but I did anyway to cross the street. The next thing I remember is that I am above my body, watching my mother crying that I am dead. I was laughing at her as I was above her watching. I felt the presence of another person next to me. I was not disturbed by this, as I felt familiar with him. I guess that it was a him. This was not expressed either way. I remember turning to this person and trying to look into his eyes. I couldn't really focus on his face, and it was almost painful to look. I turned back to the events that were happening. I was watching them load me into an ambulance. I was having a conversion, a conversation and laughing with this person. I looked again at him, and I knew I really knew him well. I recognized that I knew him before I came here, into this body. I felt really happy to be with him. The more I looked at him, the more that I saw how long I knew him. I actually remembered knowing him even before this universe was created. I could actually see this. I looked and looked 
and I couldn't see any time that I didn't know him. I could see long before any of this stuff came into creation. He called me by a different name than that I recognized, or uh, by a different name that I recognized. It wasn't like a sound, but rather a feeling that I recognized as me. I felt as though he was my oldest friend. The communication was in whole concepts. When I reflect back, I can see what he said as though it was in a 360 degree viewpoint. Nothing was missing. He told me to follow him, and I did. The next thing I remember was that I was standing in front of this large red book. He told me to look at, look, and I did. At first I couldn't recognize anything. It was blurry like when I looked into his face. Then things started to clear up. Whatever I was looking at was like a movie picture. I remember that I was at first surprised that it was in color. I guess that it reminded me of television. Back in 1955, if you did have a TV, it was in black and white. Anyway, the more that I looked, the faster the scenes moved. After a bit, the scenes stopped. We then talked a bit about what, I'm not sure, but I had the feeling that I would remember. Then he wanted me to go with him again. This time he went through a series of spirals of different colors. When we stopped, I felt as though we really didn't move anywhere, but rather these spirals moved through us. I then began to be aware of other beings, lots of beings, more than I could count. I could see all around, front, back, sideways. Wherever I placed my attention is where I saw. Whomever I saw, I felt as though I was in love with that being. There was no distinction as to gender, only a being. I knew that I was home. It all felt so natural. Then I knew that it was time to go. Almost instantly, I was at the hospital. I was watching the doctors put me in a crib-like bed. I remember not liking it at all. Then I saw a girl I knew from the neighborhood. Now I was embarrassed that she could see me in a crib. The next thing I knew, I was awake in my body with so much pain. I remember seeing my mother. Then I passed out again into darkness. And that is the end of Tony's experience. Now he doesn't say his exact age, but I gather that he's quite young. I mean, mentioning putting him in a crib, uh, the crib-like bed, I suppose they could have had different kind of gurneys, whatever, but then seeing a girl that he knew from the neighborhood and was embarrassed that she could see me in a crib, I mean, even an older teenager wouldn't think about the crib in such a way, I would think. I would think a young person, maybe, you know, five or six, too old for a crib, and still conscious of the fact that babies are in cribs and that I'm not a baby kind of idea. Um, having that kind of attitude is what makes me think that he was probably maybe under 10 years old. And uh, But anyway, it, the, and this is back in 1955. 
Let's talk about a few different things. When he's floating over his body and he realizes he's dead, he's laughing at his mother who was above him, or who was there by his body and she was crying. Now that may seem troubling at first. You know, I was laughing at her. What? What? But you got to remember that the moment that a person leaves their body, they're almost always in this very comfortable, familiar state. And this state is so comfortable that they find it difficult to understand why people are troubled by this situation. And that is interesting and bizarre, and yet it seems to be often, if not almost always, the case that there is such comfort and love or or the sense of well-being that uh, that it's a wonder why anybody would be upset right now you know just and sometimes they'll be even upset that they're trying to recover this body they're kind of they'll try to like remove their hands and say what are you doing don't don't do that don't do that you don't you, that that's unnecessary what are you doing you know kind of thing and they're almost troubled by the fact that people are trying to revive the body and not always just because they don't want to come back but sometimes just because it looks troubling to them. Why would you do that kind of thing? And so there is a little bit of a different mindset that they're automatically in. So there's that, you know, but also think about if this is a little kid, you know, they're in this, you know, very happy sense of well-being probably. And, you know, Tony is and, and he sees his mom there and he's probably thinking, Mom, I'm right here, you silly, you know, what... What are you crying about? That's just silly that you would, you know. And he's not feeling this empathy because he's surrounded by this sense of love and well-being, probably. Or at least a sense of, of familiarity with this kind of situation. But um, also he says that when this being, this person, who he identifies as the uh, his oldest friend through eternity, um, they're talking and laughing with each other. And so there may be some of that as, as part of it. It may not have to do with the fact that his mother is crying over his dead body, which is a tragedy. Um, it may not be that he's laughing that she is, you know, uh, crying at this, uh, at this terrible tragedy that she suffered, but rather that they're laughing with each other about, you know, recollections or you know, just the fact that they're together or whatever, and seeing her there, he laughs at her as well. Not necessarily in, you know, in any empathetic or anti-empathetic state of mind, if you will. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but again, it, it also reflects that this is probably a young kid, someone who wouldn't yet have the uh, maturity to really be able to assess the potential pain that she would be going through. Anyway, so, um, going on about this friend, which is a very interesting uh, little thing that he talks about how, you know, he feels really happy to be with him. And the more that he looks at this individual, the more he sees about how long he had known this man. He says, I actually remembered knowing him before the universe, this universe, was created. 
I assume he means the physical universe, but he, he knew him long before that. He says, I could actually see this. I looked and looked, and I couldn't see any time that I didn't know him. I could see long before any of this stuff came into creation. And then he says that this person called him by a different name, but that he recognized that name. So it was a different name, but it was the name that he was known by, by this person. That's interesting. And then he says that, um, again, he was his oldest friend. Um, and then he goes on talking about how the communication was not in clunky words, but was rather in whole concepts. And when he thinks back on this experience, he says, I can see now that he, what he said was as though he was saying it with the full 360 degree viewpoint. So instead of just being a one degree language as we have it, it was a 360 degree uh, language or communication. There's that 360 degree Thing coming up again. That seems to come up a lot. Basically, it's it's taking where we're used to linear and everything being then this happened, then this happened, then this happened, and how we can only look in one direction at any given time, and our peripheral vision is more like a, a guide to, you know, direct where we should put our, our you know, uh, tunnel vision, as it were. This 360 degree view is described, you know, both uh, in communication, in the way they can see things, in the way they can understand situations, in the, uh, you know, I mean, there, it's like there's no limit. Everything is, is spherical from the individual out. And, and it seems like there is a level of, you know, when he talks about looking into this friend's face, the longer he would look and the harder he would look, the more he could see. Which tells me that this circle of attention, this circle of understanding, extends where focus is concentrated. Very interesting. Very interesting and cool. And then again, he talks about um, seeing his life as if on a moving picture. Now, mo this being 1955, this is more the era where you would call it a moving picture or a television picture or something like that. But yet, yeah, there's that term again. And uh, he says it was it reminded him of a television, but back in 1955, it was all black and white. I think implying that he was seeing this in color as if you know, on a color television, which to him at the time would have been much more, you know, vivid than what he was used to. Very interesting. So then he talks about um, going with this friend again and says that uh, it felt like we didn't really move anywhere, but that these spirals move through us. I don't know what these spirals are, but he does say that, you know, it, it's as if the uh, universe itself is moving and he is still, is the way I'm kind of picturing this. It, it doesn't, I assume what he means by that is that uh, there's no, you know, sense of motion, the physical sensations, the hormonal sensations of motion, 
you know, you, you just turn your head and there is a reconfiguration that takes place almost instantly, but you can feel it, you know, or you move forward. There's air coming against you. There is a sense of exhilaration, not exhilaration, of, of um, acceleration and all those motions that seem to be part of movement in his case, don't seem to be there. And that's that's the way I'm interpreting that. It's as if the whole universe is moving and he's standing still. So, uh, that just seems to imply that motion doesn't necessarily create this these um, sensations. And yet, there are many experiences where motion does create the sensations. And many people will say that it felt like, you know, a roller coaster as they're rushing toward the light, for example. It felt like they that rush of roller coaster, whoosh, you know, whoa, you know, kind of feeling. I hope it's like that for me. I like the sensations, other than dizziness. I hope the dizziness isn't there. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so then he says more that uh, he could see all around, front, back, and sideways, all directions. He says, wherever I place my attention is where I saw. And he says, whomever I saw, I felt as though I was in love with that being. Now that's kind of fun, I, you know, and I don't think he means in love with in this deeply romantic way necessarily. You know, I, I could be wrong, but uh, I'm gathering that that everyone he sees is as if that is the most important person in their life, in his life, and and just the person that he loves more than any other. And, you know, you think about your children. In a sense, you're in love with your children. You just absolutely adore them. And I get the sense that he is experiencing that even more so with every person that he would see, which is so cool. And when he says there was no distinction as to gender, only a being, I don't know if he means they were genderless beings or if he meant that gender made no difference. There was no um, no kind of uh, segregation, if you will, of gender. I don't know, but, um, but clearly there was no, you know, it didn't matter whether this was a woman or a man. They, they felt the same level of love, same level of acceptance from them. He says, I knew that I was home. It all felt so natural, which is such an interesting aspect to all of this. And it goes back to kind of where we started, that the other side, while it, there may be a period of surprise when we first get there because we're still in this earthly frame of mind, once we're there, we feel at home. It feels like where you should be. It feels like the place you've always been. It feels more familiar than this life ever did. So if you're somebody who feels loneliness, if you are someone who feels, you know, homesickness, or even just like, I don't have a home, I don't have anywhere that I feel accepted, you do have such a place, and you will go there someday. Don't rush to get there, because You've got things to learn while you're here. There's a reason that you came. You came knowing that you would experience the feelings that you felt or that you are feeling. You knew that you would experience that and you accepted that knowing that you would return. So, you know, don't don't give up and don't uh, let those feelings of loneliness make you think that you don't belong somewhere because you absolutely do. 
And while I'm not, uh, I don't usually focus much on the holidays, uh, it is, this episode is to be released on New Year's Day. So I want you to think about if you're going to do resolutions, and I know many people don't, that's fine, totally fine. But if you do think about resolutions, think about some resolutions that will make a difference in the eternal scheme of things. So the kinds of things that when you look back on your life, you will be glad that you did this thing. You're, and this reflects back to the question of agency, which I consider free choice or the ability to really choose. When you look at the great things in your life, when, when it comes time to look back, I should say, at the things that you experienced in your life, I suspect you'll be able to see the ripples backwards to not just when you were nice to this kid, but rather the moment that your heart turned toward him to think, you know what, I should be nice to this kid. The moment that you experienced something that put you in a frame of mind, such as to when you'd see him you know, sitting across the classroom on the other side of the room or whatever, that you would be ready and prepared to think, you know what, I should be nice to this kid. So, you know, and and then the situation that led to the situation that would cause you, you know what I'm saying? These little things, these little decisions, they don't have to be big. I'm going to do so many, you know, kind deeds per day or whatever. But allow yourself to experience the small things that lead to the bigger things that lead to the big things. Okay? Allow yourself to to think a kind thought and think, you know what, I just want to be a nicer person. And then step out of the room or step into the house or wherever you're going and allow a few moments to think, and what does that mean for this situation? I want to be kinder. And the moment you're kinder to one person, they are more likely to be kind back. You are more likely to be kind again in the future. They are more likely to be kind again in the future. And the moment you are kind again, it reinforces that even more so. It reinforces it for them. It reinforces it for you. It's this snowball effect that keeps rolling. So if I can encourage a resolution, it's get that snowball started, get that snowball rolling, because those differences are really big, even though they feel very small in a moment. I'm not even sure if that makes sense. I hope it does. But uh, let the little things roll into big things. And don't worry about the big things, just focus on the small things, because it's in those small things that the big things will ripple from. So, if you would like to support the podcast, you can do so by either purchasing the book Life in the Spirit World or by going to patreon.com slash ndecast and becoming an ongoing monthly contributor. You can contact the podcast either to share a comment, ask a question, or share your own near-death experience by emailing Podcast at gmail.com or by calling 970-NDE-CAST. Once again, thank you, all of you, so much for listening.